In February of 1996, I was living in Terre Haute, Indiana, and I lived in a terrible apartment with a terrible futon in a, I won't call it a terrible town, but I'll leave that up to you, your judgment uh, on your opinions of Terre Haute. But I, I was living in Terre Haute. Uh, I had dropped out of college, uh, and I was pretty much lost. I quit going to church. Uh, I really just was lost. I really felt lost. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was working at a restaurant as a server. Uh, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and like I said, I quit going to church. I quit praying, reading my Bible. I just, I was lost. And one night, um, it's February of 96, and I'm laying on my terrible futon. Um, if you've ever slept on a futon, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they're not the most comfortable things in the world. At least this one wasn't. Uh, so I'm laying on my futon, getting ready to fall asleep. And I, I, I kind of turned to the last resort, and I started to pray. I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I heard a voice in my head. Now, this is different than the other voices I hear in my head. I'm convinced it was the voice of God. The one time in my life that I've heard the voice of God, I heard this voice say, Minister. I said, I don't want to be a minister. And I rolled over and went to sleep. Here I am. <laughs> we saw who won that battle. But, uh, you know, when it, comes to, when it comes to God's will, wouldn't it be great if God would just kind of let you know that you're on the right track? Or God would kind of just reveal his will to you in a way that was so clear? Uh, like, if he could, like, you know, show up and just kind of sit on your bed and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. Really? Oh, man, that, that's great, God. I, I'd love to do that. <laughs> you wouldn't say that. You'd be like, whoa. <laughs> How'd you get in here? Um, or, or maybe if he'd send you a text message. You know, it's like, ding. Oh, oh, so that's what you want me to do. Great. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Or an email. God at heaven.com sends you an email and says, Send you an email and say, hey, this is what I need you to do. This is what I need you to be doing. Or, or even if it's skywriting, even if it's just like a, a, sky, a, a message in the clouds. Dear Sean, do this. You know, that'd be great. Or just to let me know that I'm on the right track. Or, and maybe you're the same way. You know, wouldn't it be great if God just said, hey, you're on the right track. Everything's going to be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Or... God would reveal his will to you and reveal his plan for your life and say, this is what I want you to do. And, and, and if you just do this, you know, everything's going to work out. This is my purpose for you. This is my plan for you. This is what I want you to do. That'd be great, right? If God would just make it so clear, so crystal clear what it is that he wants you to do with your life. Well, we're going to talk about the will of God today. And we're going to talk about doing God's will even if it's hard. We started a new series last week. My friend Danny Cox uh, came and preached for me last week. I was out of town, and I really appreciate Danny coming and doing that. I heard he did a great job by all accounts, and uh, thank you for, for being a, a good audience for him and, and treating him uh, kindly. Uh, he, we talked about doing a, a pulpit swap someday in the future when Lifewell gets started down in Crown Point. He, he's going to come preach for me. I'll go preach for him down there, and we'll see how that goes. And uh, but I heard Danny did a great job, and I appreciate him doing that for me. And he started off this series last week, this brand new series called Even If. 
And what we're talking about for the next several weeks is uh, doing what God wants us to do, even if it's hard. Uh, even if, like Danny talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about honoring God even if we're facing the flames. And we're going to talk about several different aspects of this concept of even if for the next several weeks. Uh, for example, even, you know, will you honor God even if you're facing the flames? Or will you obey God even if it's hard? Will you surrender to God's will even if it's hard? Will you obey Him even if it costs you dearly? We're going to talk about these different ways that we can honor and obey God over the next several weeks. And we're going to look at different stories from the Old Testament and the New and uh, we'll talk about this concept of even if for the next several weeks. So uh, next week we're going to talk about Father's Day. It's next week is Father's Day weekend. We're going to talk about fathers. We have gifts for the dads and, and the fathers and the, and the men in attendance. Every man will get a gift next week as we honor the special guys in our lives. Uh, but for today we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to kind of set the scene for you a little bit uh, before we get into this passage. Now the Gospel of Matthew is a biography of Jesus written by his good friend and one of his followers named Matthew. Makes sense, right? This is the good news about Jesus according to Matthew. Now, if you've ever said to yourself, you know, I just, I, I couldn't go to church. And maybe this is your first time here today. If, you're, if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. Um, and maybe you said to yourself, I could, I could never go to church. Or they, they, if, if I walked into the building, the, the walls would cave in. And have you ever, ever heard anybody say that? You know, if I walked into a church, maybe you invited a friend to church, and they're like, if I walked in that building, the walls would cave in. This building's been here for 62 years. It survived at least one tornado, and these walls aren't caving in anytime soon. Right? Okay. All right. Godatheaven.com. No, Sean. So, uh, but, you know, if you've ever thought that, you know, I could never go to church because, you know, I just know that the building would be struck by lightning, or maybe you've thought God would never want anything to do with me, uh, my past is just too dark and, and my life has been too much of a mess and God would never want anything to do with me. Matthew is your guy. You see, Matthew was a tax collector in Jesus' day. And tax collectors in Jesus' day were viewed a, a lot like tax collectors in our day. You know, sorry if anybody works for the IRS. You know, I'm, I apologize. Not really. I got audited about six years ago and so uh, no apologies. Um, but Matthew is a tax collector, and tax collectors in, Matthew, in Matthew's day were ostracized, they were outcasts, they were despised, they were hated, they were viewed as treasonous traitors. Uh, they worked for the Gentile Romans to collect exorbitant tax rates from their own people. And we're talking like 70, 80, 90 percent of, of tax rates. Now you thought tax code in America was rough. But the, the taxes were, and, and not only did they collect these high taxes, but they would cheat their own people to line their own pockets. And so tax collectors didn't have any friends. Nobody liked them. And Matthew was a tax collector. Now the interesting thing is when the Gospels say that his given name was Levi. Now in those days, you would sometimes name your child after the career that you wanted them to have. And the Levites were the priests of Israel. So imagine this. You're Matthew's mom, you're holding your sweet little baby, and, or you're Matthew's dad looking at your sweet little baby, and this is baby Levi, you're introducing him to your friends, oh, come meet baby, come see the baby. And so you come over here and you meet little Levi, and he's going to grow up and be a priest someday. He's going to go up and serve God in the temple. He's gonna, it, yeah, he's going to be a priest. 
And then he grows up to become a tax collector. It's like, no longer do you tell, oh, so how many kids do you have? We have two. There's uh, Sarah and Hannah. Well, what about Matt? What about Levi? What are happened to him? Who? Levi who? I have no idea who you're talking about. We have no son named Levi. Oh, the, oh I thought he became a tax collector. Nope, nope. I have no idea what you're talking about. He was, I mean, he was a, a, a blight to his family. And so Matthew is sitting at his tax collector booth one day. And Jesus walks up to him. And so if you've ever thought, Jesus could never love me, Jesus could never accept me, and Jesus could never use me, Matthew is your guy. Because Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And Matthew gets up, he leaves his tax collector's booth, and he follows Jesus. He says, I'm going to throw a party for Jesus. All my friends, remember, Matthew didn't have many friends, and the friends that he did have, those were the other outcasts and ostracized people too. And the only ones who wanted to hang out with tax collectors were other tax collectors and prostitutes. And that's it. And they're like, hey, Jesus, come party with us. And Jesus is like, okay, let's do that. And so Jesus goes and he parties with all these people. And, and, Jesus, and Matthew's introducing Jesus to all of his friends. Because that's what Jesus does. He doesn't care about the mess of your life. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. He's more concerned about where you're going and the way that he can change your life. So if you feel like your life is a mess, if you feel like you are unworthy of God's love and that God could never love you, welcome you, accept you, or use you, that's not true. Matthew is your guy. And not only did Matthew follow Jesus, but Matthew wrote the biography of his life. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46, is where we're at today. Jesus and his followers were in the upper room uh, getting ready to celebrate the last Passover together that they would celebrate together, this Passover feast. And, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, that what we know as communion that we do every week here. And, and then they leave the upper room. Now there's Jesus and 11 of his 12 disciples. Judas has already left and he's gone to get the authorities who are going to arrest Jesus so that Jesus will be crucified and executed. So Jesus and these 11 guys leave this, and they go to a place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a, a kind of a garden near the Mount of Olives, and it literally means, the word means olive press. So this is kind of like an olive grove uh, where they're at uh, in, in Gethsemane. And, and we're in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. If you brought a Bible, great, turn there, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 703 of that Bible. We'll put the words on the screen, or you can use your smartphone or tablet, however you want to follow along. It's fine with us. So we're in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. And we're going to take this in three pieces. It says in verse 36, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then, so he's got eight, he leaves eight disciples over there. And then he goes with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. He takes Peter and James and John along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is literally saying, he's like, I feel like I could die right now. I am so troubled. I am so overcome with sorrow and grief that I feel like I could die right now. Stay here and keep watch with me, he says. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
I'm sure you've heard this story before, maybe. You've heard this story before, and, and you've heard those words, thy will be done. Uh, you know, and, and, and Jesus is going to surrender his will to the will of his Father, even though it was hard. Because what Jesus was facing was hard. It was nearly impossible. I mean, if somebody told you that 12 hours from now, they are going to crucify you, they're going to drive nails through your hands and feet, and they're going to crucify you, you're going to hang in the hot sun for hours, and you're going to suffer and die. You're going to asphyxiate, you're going to bleed to death, you're going to die. In 12 hours from now, how would you feel? Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow and grief to the point of death, like he felt like he was going to die right then. And he did it because he loves you, and he loves me. He gave up his own life so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him and repenting from your sins, confessing your faith and getting baptized, Jesus will wash away your sins and give you the promise and hope of eternal life. And Jesus did this for us. Even though it was hard, even though he was facing the cross. And the cross was, uh, we think about the cross sometimes and, and it's, it's not an easy thing. And it's not just a piece of jewelry. The cross was a place of execution. And it, it was painful. So much so that they invented a new word to come up with the pain of the cross, to describe the pain of the cross. It's the word excruciating. Literally means out of the cross. That's the kind of pain is excruciating. Sometimes you'll get a toothache and say, oh, the pain is excruciating. No, it's not. Unless it's like driving nails through your hands and feet and, and dying for hours and hours and hours. No, it's not. It hurts. Don't get me wrong. Tooth pain hurts. Or you stub your pinky toe in the middle of the night. That hurts. It's not excruciating, though. It may feel like it's not excruciating. It hurts. No, there's only one kind of excruciating pain, and that is the pain of the cross. And that's what Jesus went through for us. And so he's praying to God the Father, saying, my Father, if it is possible, if there's any other way, uh, Jesus didn't want to die in this way. He's like, if there's any other way for this to happen other than this, then, let, then let, let that happen, but not as I will, but as you will. He was surrendering to the will of the Father. Surrendering his own will to the will of the Father. Pick it up in verse 40. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. They had no idea what's going on. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Unless it is, if it is not possible for, for this to be done any other way, let your will be done. See, Jesus is coming to the realization. He is coming to the understanding of God's will and what the Father wants him to do. And he says, if it is not possible, I understand now. I understand that if it isn't possible, let your will be done. If there's no other way, let your will be done. He is surrendering to the will of God, even though it was hard. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The Gospel of Luke describes 
the intensity of Jesus' prayer when it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And Jesus was praying so intensely and so hard that he was sweating blood. That is an intense prayer. That is intense anguish. That is intense grief. That is intense sorrow. Jesus doesn't want to die. But he knows that if there's no other way for us to be forgiven, for us to have salvation, for us to have eternal life, he would surrender his will to the will of God, even though it was hard. And I believe that God may be calling you today to do something that is hard. His will may be for you to do something that is hard. Not cross hard, not excruciating hard, but hard for you. And God may be asking you to do something. His will may be for you to do something that is so hard. And there's no one else who can do it. It's you. And you have to decide if you will surrender your will to the will of God. And say, your will be done. Not as I will, but as, but as you will. And I believe there's two kinds of will that God, God has for us. The first is God's general will for all Christ followers. I believe that the Bible teaches us that there are certain things that are God's will for all of his followers. There are certain ways that he wants us to live. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 8 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That God wants you to be, well, God wants you to be joyful. And God wants you to be thankful. And God wants you to be prayerful. So God wants you to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. So that's kind of a general will for all believers. Uh, I think God wants us to be holy. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, it says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be different. He wants us to look conspicuous and different from the world. Not blending into the world and, and doing everything the world does, but God wants us to live a holy life, a different life, a life that is set apart for Him. That's what it means to live a holy life. It, you can't be perfect. Nobody can be. Jesus was, and He's the only one who could ever live a perfect life. If it was possible for you to live a perfect life, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. God would have said, do it. Just live a perfect life. But He knew that we could not. That's why He sent Jesus. And Jesus surrendered his will to the will of the Father, even though it was hard. So God wants you to be prayerful, thankful, joyful. And God wants you to live a holy life. God wants you to live a good life. In 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And then in verse 15 it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So God wants you to live a holy life, but God also wants you to do good things. He wants you to live a good life. Again, when everyone around you is doing the wrong thing, God wants us to do the right things. So God wants you to live a good life. How many of you have kids? You ever say to your kids, would you just be good? Could, could you just be good for once in your life? Can't you just be good? Some of you laugh nervously because you know what I'm talking about. 
I sometimes think God is in heaven looking at us going, could you just be good? Could you just love each other and care for one another and, and, and bear each other's burdens and just, can you, can you just be good? God wants us to live good lives. He wants us to live lives of goodness. He wants us to live lives that are joyful, prayerful, thankful, holy, good. God wants us to, God may want us to suffer. Wait, what? Yeah. In, in verses 17 and 18 of 1 Peter 3, it says, For it is better, if it is God's will, for, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It was God's will for Christ to suffer. It was God's will for his son Jesus to suffer for our sins. And it may be God's will for you to suffer in some way. Whether it's persecution, out, being an outcast, being ostracized. God may have, it may be part of his will for you to suffer. Because suffering produces endurance. It produces perseverance. It produces character. That we should be joyful when we face tests, trials, and troubles. Because they change us and they help us turn to God in faith. And no, it's no fun. Suffering is no fun. But at the same time, God may, it may be God's will for you to suffer. So I believe that there are certain things in our lives that are part of God's general will for all followers of Jesus. And then there are certain things in our lives that are God's will for us as individuals. That God has a specific will for all Christ followers, for, for individuals. So God may have a specific will for you, something that he wants you to do, that only you can do. That he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And there's something he wants you to do. And you may know what it is already. You may be sitting there going, uh, is there a camera in my house? Or is there a camera in my brain that, God, that Sean, you know exactly what to talk about today? Because there's something in your life there's something that God has been asking you to do that you've been like, I don't know that I can do that. Either I don't want to, or it's too hard, it's too difficult, I'm not qualified, I'm not worthy, and you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and you know what God is asking you to do. I have some suggestions about what God may be asking you to do. Teenagers. I always got to talk to my teenage friends. To my teenage friends today, God may be calling you to love that kid at school or to love the kid at church that's unlovable, who feels unloved and who feels unlovable. They may be an outcast. Uh, they may be bullied. The kid that everybody picks on, God is calling you to love that kid. Because if you will love that kid, you may prevent a tragedy in his life or in the lives of your classmates. If you will love that kid, if you will love them and accept them, as Jesus loves and accepts them, if you will love that kid who nobody else wants to love, you may just change their life. And God's calling you to do that. Teenagers, God is calling you to, to do something hard. And, and it, it, sometimes it's hard to love those unloved kids. But God is calling you to love that kid. You know, for adults, God is calling you to love your family well. And God may be calling you to sacrifice your time for your family. He may be calling you to sacrifice a few extra hours at the office or a few extra hours at work to spend time with your family to show your family that you love them. God is calling you to love your spouse. God is calling you to love your kids. God is calling you to love your parents. God's will is for you to love your family well. 
I believe that part of God's will is that we would be generous. That's for all Christians, for all followers of Jesus. God wants us to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. God wants you to be generous with your time and serving Him here at GFCC or serving Him in His kingdom somewhere, maybe on a mission trip. Maybe God is calling you to, to sacrifice uh, your career uh, to go into ministry. Maybe God is asking you to become a minister like He did me. I had dreams. I had things I was going to do. And God said, I got dreams for you, Sean, that are beyond your wildest imagination. Here I am. God may be calling you to do the same thing. God may be calling you to go into ministry. It's an amazing adventure. It's a hard life. It's hard. But it's an amazing adventure. And God may be calling you to be generous with your time here at GFCC. I got a great opportunity. And maybe you've been thinking to yourself, you know what, I don't have enough middle schoolers in my life. Anybody think that? Let me tell you what we're going to do in September. We're starting a new middle school connection group that's going to meet during our church service. They're going to be in here during the first part of the service for the songs and communion and, and offering. And then they're going to go to a, a classroom and they're going to have a, a connection group where they're going to be able to encourage one another and, and have a Bible lesson geared for their age. And so if you're interested in helping out with our middle school connection group, it's a commitment. I want you to talk to me after this service. I want you to come to me and say, you know, I've got some teachers lined up, but I need some helpers and some co-teachers. And if you're interested in helping out with our middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, I want you to come talk to me after this service. I got a whole bunch of people who are ready to do that. Maybe that's what God is asking you to do, is to help out 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in that transition period between uh, elementary school and and high school. Or maybe God is asking you to, to volunteer uh, in, in one of our ministries. Maybe God is telling you, you need to get involved in the life of your church. You need to get involved in, in a ministry. You need to give of your talent. And maybe you have a talent for technology and you can help us do some things with our, our tech ministry. Or maybe you have a, a talent for teaching kids and you love kids and you want to help out in children's ministry. Um, see Joel, our, our children's pastor. Or if you want to help out in the worship te uh, tech side of things, or you want to help out in, in First Impressions, our hospitality ministry, and welcoming people and making them uh, feel welcome here at GFCC, talk to Brandon Rooks, our associate pastor. He'll be right down here after the service. He's the guy with the beard who plays the guitar. Talk to Brandon after the service about how you can get involved in one of his ministries. Or maybe leading a connection group this fall when we have our fall kickoff for connection groups. Talk to Brandon about your interest in facilitating a, a connection group. There's all kinds of ways to get involved. God wants us to be generous with our time. He wants us to be generous with our talent. And he wants us to be generous with our treasure. I believe that God calls us to give in three ways when it comes to giving our offerings. He calls us to give consistently, generously, and sacrificially. Now, I'm not, I'm not bragging or boasting about myself, but I used to give uh, very consistently. I still do. I give consistently every single week comes out of my checking account every Friday at 11 o'clock in the morning. I give online. I give generously. I give more than 10%. Again, not bragging, not boasting. It's just what we do. But I wasn't giving sacrificially. I would give consistently. I'd give generously. I wasn't giving sacrificially. And I said to myself, I need to start, if I want other people to do it, I need to set the example. And so I'm going to start giving sacrificially. I'm going to sacrifice something so I can put more in the offering to help us reach our purpose of helping people follow Jesus. And so I thought, what can I cut out of my life? What can I get rid of? What can I sacrifice in order to give more to my church family? And you know what it was? 
Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. And really, is it a sacrifice? Yes, it is. When I made that decision, and I, I let some people know about it, Dunkin' Donuts stock fell 3%. They have an overabundance of Boston cream donuts now. You know, they, got, they have so many Boston cream donuts, they don't know what to do. Because I, I stopped buying them for the office. Because see, not only uh, am I making the sacrifice of no Dunkin' Donuts, but my office mates are, are doing, making the sacrifice too. No more donuts, no more coffee from Dunkin'. And I took that money that I was spending on that and I put it toward my offering. So I can give even more. And maybe God is calling you to do the same thing. Maybe God is calling you to start giving consistently. That you don't give every week or you don't give every other week. And you just kind of tip God whenever you show up. Here's a little tip. Or maybe God is calling you to give generously and, and to either start tithing or, or, or give a little more than a tithe. Maybe God is calling you to give sacrificially. Maybe there's something in your life that you're like, you know what, that's a want. It's not a need. It's not a have to. It's a, it's a want to. I'm going to give up that want for, for six months and, and kind of increase my offerings to the church so that we can reach more people for Jesus. So maybe that's what God's calling you to do. And you're like, nope, I know God's not calling me to do that. Really? See, God's going to call us to do things that are hard. God is going to call us to do things that may be difficult. And I think that, you know, he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us do that. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That God has a will for your life. And if you will surrender to his will, he will uh, lead you and he will guide you and he will direct you in the direction that he wants you to go. And yeah, it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard to do the will of God. But this one thing I know, God won't ask us to do anything that he cannot work out for good. That even if it's hard, God can still work it out for good. And it may be a sacrifice. It may be hard. It may be a sacrifice of your career. It may be a sacrifice of, of your hours at work to spend more time with your family. It may be a sacrifice of your time, talent, or treasure. It may be a sacrifice of social status or popularity. Whatever God is asking you to do, He will not ask you to do something that He cannot work out for good because He works it all out for good. And when we put our trust in Jesus and when we surrender our will to God's will, even if it's hard, God can do amazing things. And God does amazing things. And He touches lives and He changes lives. So my encouragement to you today, my challenge for you today, for us all, is to surrender to God's will, even if it's hard.